sorry about our uh, technical glitch earlier on today. I think all the school kids must have been uh, logged on to do their study. So hopefully they're all off at lunch at the moment. I'm joined once again by the wonderful Rachel Hamling, and I'm going to pass over to her to introduce our guest speaker for today. All over to you, Rachel. Oh, thanks, Karen. Lovely to see you again. Hi, everyone. We have an amazing lady with us today, lovely Linda Kelly. She is a property developer. She is a health and wellness coach, and she's a single mum and doing this all absolutely wonderfully. So I can't wait for Linda to share with us all her tips and um, the, the start of her journey in property development. And I think you're going to find that you'll receive so much out of this time that we have with her today. And thank you, Linda, for your time. We really appreciate it. Welcome. Thanks so much for the opportunity to share. Thanks for coming on, Linda, twice <laughs> in one day. <laughs> All right. Well, those of you who are on Facebook, feel free to post any questions in the comments column and we can pass them on to Linda. Uh, otherwise, I'll start asking some questions and learn a bit more on Linda's story. So, Linda, can you give us a bit of a background on how you were exposed to property investing in the first place? Um, my first round in property was quite young in my 20s and I saw a financial um advisor speak and was in i wanted to buy it at banyo he convinced me to buy at red hill <laughs> best move i ever made so that was back in 2000 and went on to make a series of purchases and that was just i'd live in them and then move on we had a rental uh, but the big thing for me was having my son so i was in my dream job i was just turned 40 newborn baby and never occurred to me that I couldn't do both, be the mother I wanted to be and have the career I wanted. So I needed to find something different. And that's when I went to yet another seminar, like the same way I got into it the first time, I found myself at another seminar and listening to a guy talk about property development and what skills you needed to do it. And I'm thinking, I could do this. But at the time, like I was in complete crisis. Like I was actually even made the phone call to Lifeline. I can't cope going back to work, love my job in the cruise industry, but I'm putting my son in childcare. He was having separation anxiety and I just knew I had to do something different. And that's when I discovered pro property. So second time round again. <laughs> so is that just in the last few years you've come back into it? I'm not trying to ask how old you are. Uh, but <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, that's a good way of planning back. Yeah, so for four to five years I've been okay. doing property. Yeah. And I actually started a course on it and I quit my job and started doing it full time. So it was, a, it was a bit of a brave move at the time, but, um, you know, you don't know what you don't know. <laughs> exactly. Well, that leads us very good into the next question of, what were the obstacles you, you had to overcome in all of this and the obstacles in property development that you've come across? Yeah, so number one obstacle was having a small child. So that was interesting. I ended up putting him into um, childcare three days a week so I could focus full time on property. And I searched for eight months. So don't think you're just going to quit your job and go do property. Um, I, it took me eight months to find my first property of studying and looking 
constantly every day and then I got my dream property like I got the deal and I knew it's stacked and put it under contract and then they said you can't get finance and I'm like what do you mean I can't get finance this deal's taxed and they said well you have no job and then my husband at the time had a accident and ended up out of work for eight months in recovery so <laughs> I had no job my breadwinner was now on compo and I had a small child so after five brokers I finally found someone who gave me finance and I was away again no. yeah so I definitely my job is to research and find property and uh it can take months sometimes <laughs> and that's just not yeah. even development that can be finding people their own home it's got to be the right thing and you can't just click your fingers and oh here's one i've pre yeah. i've previously worked out for you it can take mm -hmm. months to find one where the numbers add up it can take months of negotiation and then you can still have a bank turn around and stuff it all up for you at the last minute so <laughs> yes i definitely know all about those obstacles definitely <laughs> Yes. Okay, Rachel, do you have any questions for Linda or anything you want to add? Yeah, well, I was just thinking about in relation to the finance. Um, would, now that you've gone through that experience, Linda, what would be something that you might do differently, um, you know, moving into your next deal? Or would there be some advice around finance that you could give them someone going into their first opportunity? Hmm. Well, disclaimer, I'm not um, qualified to give financial advice, but <laughs> um, have, your contacts, have your contacts and, you know, be sure that you do your stacks. Like I, I was just confident. I was probably a little bit naive when I went into that first deal, but in my mind, money was not an obstacle. I was getting money because that deal stacked and on paper it would work. And, you know, I've got it again at the moment. I mean, I property deal and you know I'm like interest rates are low I'm gonna get resi finance and they turned around and the bank went no you can't so now I'm back at the brokers trying to get a uh, different um, options on financing but for me I I just won't give up and that is one of the skills I impart if anyone asks me what do you need to be a property developer resilience number one resilience if you can't take a knock back you are not going to survive in this game. So, yeah. Yeah, that's very important because you can, at the sort of outset of looking at an opportunity, everything can look, you know, all roses, but you have to be able to drill down and make sure that you're, you know, getting all the finer details and making sure everything stacks up. So, yeah, that's really important. Mm. And another thing when you said, like, what else would you do differently? Um I looked at other people starting out at the same time as me and, you know, a lot of people would say, like, you know, you need to make this much money, you need to have this much percentage margin. Um, but probably it took me eight months to get into the market because I was looking for that deal. We call it the unicorn. And I was lucky enough to find my unicorn. But um, many people don't and they can't get those rates of return on properties. So I had a friend who started out the same time as me and he did two to one deal. So he was doing double the amount of deals. And the reason he was doing it is because it was calculated. Um, he wanted the experience. So the best way to get experience is to do it. 
So there's things that you just won't know. Like I had asbestos buried on my first site. Like, you know, things are just going to crop up when you're doing and that's how you learn. You know, they say learn the hard way. But, um, you know, it's this guy, he was able to learn so much more by doing so many more deals. And, yes, he took a lower percentage, but because he did, he was able to get twice as many deals. So at the end of the day, it's just a different way of doing it and you've got to work out um, what works for you and what your level of comfort is. And the other point of that is if if you're not making enough money on each deal, you can't get finance. So mm -hmm. that's the other thing. You've got to find those, you know, at least half a unicorn to, <laughs> for before a bank or a finance broker will even look at you. If it doesn't make enough money, mm -hmm. then it doesn't matter unless you've got the cash. It doesn't matter. Now, Janine Lewis has said hi to Rachel and Linda. She's online listening to us. Shoot us any Thank questions you. if you've got any, Linda. Mm -hmm. no. Okay, so... Oh, sorry, Janine, I mean. Now, Linda, was that your only unicorn? Has that been your best deal ever, that first one? Or have um, you had something else along the way that you just go, oh, my goodness, I could retire yeah. now, almost? <laughs> the second one was very good as well. So my second one, um, and I think it's all about the relationships you have and your outlook and how you treat people. So... This was through a real estate agent and I went and looked at the deal. I knew it was overpriced to begin with, but, um, I, you know, every deal I look at, I learn more. So every feasibility, every time I like see a different sewer position or whatever, something I've got to overcome. So I went, I did the inspection and I said to the agent, can we go and have a coffee? And so we went and had a coffee later. I showed him my figures. I said, look, this is where I think the price should be at. I understand that they love their home and they think it's worth more, but for a developer, this is the price that people will be willing to pay. And I said, you know, they might get a homeowner who falls in love with it, but you're looking for an emotional buyer. And I said, I wish them all the best. I offered the opportunity of a joint venture. I said, you know, for me, I have to pay stamp duty and interest and everything. So it's just not going to work at their price. However, if they want to do it as a joint venture, I can project manage it and fund the development costs and then we split profit at the end. That didn't work for them because they wanted to go into over 50s living and they didn't have the time to wait. Um, so I let it go, wished them all the very best, moved on. Three months later, they ring me up, we did the deal. 115 grand below asking price. Yes, I think we've all, all been there. I Thank you. From memory, I even wrote an article on uh, something to do with greed and selling to developers. They seem to think our, our pockets are twice as big as everyone else's. And I'm like, mm, no, but our calculator is twice as big and we have a lot more numbers we run. So, so things really have to add up even more when you're selling to a developer than to maybe a homeowner who, who will buy something on emotion, whereas we buy it purely on what that calculator says. So, yeah. yeah. What about and your worst really deal? Important. Sorry, Rachel, go. Oh, I was just going to say the patience is really important too because, you know, I mean, I find sites come back to me all the time and, you know, if it doesn't, if, if you've been in the industry long enough to know how to run some basic numbers, then it's going to, that's going to be the same for every other developer. So like you said, Karen, unless it's a cash buyer, um, someone coming in and maybe long-term hold, 
if the owner is wanting to sell it for a development, they really have to take the price it's going to work for at that um, at that price. So yeah, patience is is um, definitely a skill you need to have. It always amuses me when somebody comes back to me six, 12 months later and says, oh, are you still interested in that site? And the price hasn't changed. Or it's even <laughs> gone up. You're like, you haven't sold it in the last 12 months. In fact, you've had it under contract and it's fallen over. So take a hint, lower the price, the price is wrong. And you just sit around and wait for another year for it to come back again. And hopefully they've priced it correctly. So. Mm. Yeah, I'm the market like never lies. <laughs> Yeah, Alinda, what that. was one of your worst deals that didn't mm. work? I haven't had any. Well, that's, <laughs> that's fantastic. <laughs> um, no, I do. I'm very um, meticulous when it comes to my deals. So my worst deal was probably at the same time as that Bald Hills. That one was at Bald Hills where the owners had to drop the price. And I had an opportunity come up just down the road. So I was notified by my demo guy, um, the local agent. Um, so I have a network of people and they know what I'm looking for. So they all got on the phone to me, said this guy's got to sign up on his front lawn saying, you know, for sale by owner. So I went in there and I did that deal. I thought, oh, well, this will be easy. It's just down the road, like less than a kilometre from the other one. I'll do them both at the same time. <laughs> So then I had the um, mission of getting finance, and um, which was fine. I got it, and a lot of people fall over when I tell them I paid 18% interest, but um, it's still stacked. Like, you know, don't look at what you're paying. It's what you, as long as you're getting the profit you want, it's win-win all around. Like the bank was not going to lend me money. Um, at this stage, I'm now a single mum. And, yeah, I have two developments <laughs> underway. Um, bank would not look favourably on that. So I had to go private finance, which worked. Um, I had a few hiccups on that. So I'll tell you now, even with 18% interest, I made 83000 on that. And it should have been more, only that I had one of the sales fall over. So that was the subdivision. Uh, double stack it was a splitter and a subdivision so it was actually two into three and that one it ran over project so I pretty much had all the DA done before I even settled on the property so I had a long settlement which worked well because I had that 18% insurance interest don't forget and the minimum term for that was three months so I was able to get all three properties under contract and um yeah, and settling in time to pay out this interest. But sadly, one of them fell over on finance and it took a further six months to get that last one away, um, just time in the market. So I was very lucky that I sold those first two because that gave me enough money to pay out the loan, which was 18% interest. So then I was just, all my profit was sitting in that last yeah. block, which took another six months to sell. So that was my worst deal. Yeah, it doesn't take much for there to be you know, rock or asbestos or something hidden underground or something and suddenly your your time frames pull out by a month or two months and if you're paying even 8% interest and you've got a million or two million or three million dollars, you know, mm -hmm. 
on, on a mortgage for the site and for development, then it kind of adds up pretty quickly and pretty scarily and you just see your profits go very, very fast into a nosedive. So, yeah, thanks yeah. for that, Linda. I love that the homeowners just go like, okay, so blocks sell for 500, 400 each, so therefore you paid this much. It's like they've got no idea, stamp duty, holding costs, the interest, like things that can go wrong, how much subdivision costs. So it's not a ma ma matter of dividing by two. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. There's, there's a very big feasibility I'm sure we all we all use that adds in every every cost and everything under the sun including selling costs and that's one thing I, I know a lot of people never seem to add in is you've got to pay someone to sell it at the other end and your holding costs and your interest there's just so many other things to eat into a, to think so all the more reason to have a very good strong development up front and good numbers up front so yes thanks for that for new people starting out, Linda, what would be your your uh, advice or suggestion to them starting out in development? Uh, honestly, my first, like the very first thing you should do is a, a personal review. So um, you need to work out what you have to bring to the table, um, like a basic SWOT SWOT analysis, so your strengths, your weaknesses, opportunities and threats. We used to do these in business all the time. Um, do a similar sort of thing on yourself. So I know there's areas that I'm not great at. Like I can do everything, but I don't enjoy accounting <laughs> at all. So now I've actually teamed up with another um, female developer I met at a conference and we work together and she's an accountant so it's brilliant <laughs> she does all those fiddly bits that um, she is wonderful at and I struggle with and it takes me twice as long so things like that work out um, what your strengths and weaknesses are and where you can either build those skills get education or bring someone else into your team to balance that out and the other big thing I am uh, NLP coach and uh, transformation, purpose and passion, um, very much work on your own mindset because it doesn't matter how good your deal is, if you have self-sabotaging <laughs> um, strategies in the background, you know, the best deal is going to fall apart. You're going to fall apart if you don't have the right mindset. So I think that is probably the first thing in the basket. So your developer friend, do you do JVs with her joint ventures or you just play different sites off each other who might be best interested in different sites? No, we created a company um, and we're both directors of that. So that's Let's Develop. Right. Very mm -hmm. good. Very good. So what's your current project you're working on? You don't need to tell us address or yeah. details, but what's the current one that you're either investigating or working on? Yeah, I'm super excited. So we have a property at Camp Hill, I can tell you that. And it's going to be a one into two subdivision. We're going, we're in the neighbourhood zone for people who don't know what that is. If you're in a particular walking distance to a neighbourhood zone, which is, you know, your shops, retail, has to be over 2,000 square metres. You can actually go down below the standard 400 square metre um, residential size lot in Brisbane City Council. So we have a 615 square metre lot and we're going to bring that down into two 306 square metre lots. 
and we're going to build. So a lot of my other projects have either been sold as land or house and land packages, and I've got out of the process early. But with the current economic climate, with COVID, um, a lot of people just freezing like deer in the headlights at the moment, but we don't want to get out of the market. We want to stay there and put our money to work. So we've decided to build on this, which is super exciting. We're still in due diligence. So fingers crossed it's all going to stack up and we'll be building soon. Um, but that way we're, we're going to time out the market. So we'll have our builders put to work, um, jobs for the boys. And then in early 2021, our products will be on the market. So um, hopefully by then everyone will be a lot more confident and ready to get on with business again. So does the site need a DA or can you use the, the council risk smart, uh, easy DA, supposedly easy yeah. DA process? Yeah. <laughs> it does need a DA, which is um, if there's anyone who's not property watching, it's development um, approval. Thank you. Yeah. And um, what that does, it allows you to get more than one title. So currently this property is one title and we'll be applying to council to get two titles so we can build two homes um, and they will each be freehold. So it won't be like a duplex or townhouses or anything like that. They are small lots. So 306 is a small lot, but as a mother, my house was on 405 square meters and that was too much to look after <laughs> once you have small children. So I, I think there's a lot of people who are looking for lifestyle um, this is going to suit people who work in the CBD, want to be close to that, yet still have a suburban family lifestyle. You've got room for a pool and a yard, but not as much to take care of. And it's been one of my big things in property is I, I do property from a community point of view. And I had a person who did a 360 health, health wealth dynamic on me and she said, oh, you're a, a property developer. That doesn't really work like with your personality type and tell me some about that and I started talking about you know providing housing for different levels of the market houses that have accessibility that can you can care for your elderly disabled you can run a home business um, being connected to community because we have all these amazing parks now when we were kids we used to play on the road that doesn't happen so much these days you know it was like running around playing tennis on the street you don't see that happening but there's all these amazing parks and kids generally you know they want to go to the park on the weekend so I love that that we can live smaller rather than going out and knocking down like you know um, more trees and stuff surrounding Brisbane on the outlying areas that we can live a little bit tighter with a closer footprint and make use of these beautiful green spaces that the community has, the foreshores, once lockdown's over. <laughs> um, gotta stop doing these rabbit ear things, that's a bad habit. <laughs> and um, once that comes back, we're actually gonna be connecting with one another again. Like, you know, you go to the park, you walk your dog, you talk to people. If you're just in your big like 810 square meter block, with your house in the middle, you don't have as much connection. So I really think that property is moving forward with us as a community as well. Well, if you live in any of those major master plan communities, of which I won't name, 305 mm -hmm. square metres is a, called a large family lot now. So there's, <laughs> I know I've built on a lot less, so <laughs> I think you'll be fine.
Okay, well, we're coming towards an end of our, our session today. Rachel, do you have anything you wish to to ask or add? Yeah, did we, did Linda, did you give a tip on, um, I think we did, about what would be something for someone starting out, what would be one of the main things they'd do? You, would, you talked about doing the SWOT there. Yeah. Um, what about so the site? With um, surround yourself with like-minded people too. You know this, Rach. You're one of my like-minded people. Um, you really need to be around people who are doing what you want to do. I have friends whose husbands, um, you know, they're in trades, and they were like asking me about like what I do, and kind of interested. But then they sort of like you know they just backed off because it was it was just too foreign for a lot of people to think that you can make money this easily, which is disappointment because we are providing services and things that people need like you know I'm a coach as well so we have like the pyramid of human needs and the bottom one of that is shelter food we're providing shelter food the next one is love and connection so we're providing communities where you can have love and connection so um, we're providing a service if money comes easy that's not a problem <laughs> And what about like a um, some of the groups that I know that you and I belong to? So some great ideas for people to, to start even, you know, the lives that we do, but also Facebook groups around property development and different um, companies that can help people start to get information around the basics of knowing how to do property development. It's always great to tap into those. Yeah, it's really important to have your education, but you can do all the like, there's a ton of property courses out there, so I'm not going to spruik any in particular. But um, if you don't have the right network around you, that's mm. a killer too, because now I know so many developers. They honestly, they became like my family. When I got that first deal after looking for eight months, like, you know, I was like, I got a deal. And all, everyone in property was like, woohoo, that's awesome. Like, you know, if the rest of my family and friends are like, oh, okay. You know, they've got no idea what goes into it. And those people, are, I call them my property family. And they're so important to me. And now, like, if I get a site which has a particular thing, because I take so much interest in what other people are doing, I'm like, oh, such and such had to do a road. I'll ring them and ask them. Such and such had to do um, underground power or like water detention tanks. Like you're building that network of knowledge as well as building friendships that will support you through your journey. Yeah, that's awesome. And Janie's just asked a question, Linda. What depo a percentage deposit is required to go with a non-bank lender? Depends which lender. So they're all a bit different. Um, but basically the deal has to stack um there's many ways to skin a cat as they say so you know they look at all things it's not just your deposit it's also your experience so if you're in an inexperienced developer um they might want to see that you have a project manager on site that can provide or a mentor like if you're in one of these property mentoring groups um someone that's going to do that so the general residential is like your 80 20 loan um there's really it's more about the deal and the person than an actual percentage and that's what my lender said to me like i went through a broker but the two guys that ran the company they wanted to come and meet me on site and they actually said to me and we're still friends today we don't 
invest in in property we invest in people like you know it doesn't matter how good your property deal is if they don't meet you and like you as a person they won't give you the money so there's yeah. other private finances that are different there's just so many options out there and that's why it's so important to have your filter open and keep talking and connecting and yeah. being on these facebook groups that um watching what other people are doing asking questions it's such a wonderful community because I came from a sales background and whilst we all, um, you know, we're very personable people, we were running our own race as well at the end of the day. And in property, I was just so inspired of the way people want to help each other. Um, you know, it's no problem for me to reach out to someone and ask them a question. They're more than happy to give me the time to do that. And that's all about the relationships you develop. So if you have that network you might need to pull them in for different deals and things and you there's so many different financiers out there and people have used all different ones so use your network and you'll find one that'll work for you but I tell you I went through five brokers so don't don't go easy into the night as they say <laughs> <laughs> and the amount of times that we've talked about the deals and the numbers and comparators I mean that'll be for another show but you know, there's so much um, involved in that and, and having the network of good people around you and, and being able to just ring and say, hey, can I run this past you? It's Yeah, it's great, which is good, yeah. good for all the... Just briefly on that again, sorry, I should have said too, like when you're subdividing, you're adding value. So a bank doesn't want to know that you're going to knock down the house, whereas if you go to a private lender and they can see like, okay, that's one lot, you're going to divide it into three that's going to be worth that much that's when you know the deposit isn't as important because they can see the value in the deal in the land that's awesome right thank you so much linda that's been very very uh, informative today thanks for coming on thank you rachel for helping us out and joining us as well and You're welcome. for everyone else please go onto our facebook page and join property for chicks uh, we're also yeah. on LinkedIn and many other places. So we'll be back again in, in the next week or two weeks and we'll have another guest speaker with you. Once again, thank you, Linda, Rachel, and it's goodbye from Property for Chicks. Thanks, See you later. Bye. Bye. Bye.